You have reached the voice mailbox of Game Thing Season 4 Horror. You have 18 new messages. Sunday, the 15th of January at 2.17 p.m. Good afternoon, David Wilinski. It is your friend that you've never actually met in person, Pippin Bar. And I've got our first game for the horror season. Uh, it's a tribute to the way that horror games want to be played, because it's called Alone in the Dark. Uh, we actually started the mysterious lost seasons of Game Thing with this, and so why not start season four uh, with Alone in the Dark? It was developed and published by Infogrames uh, in 1992, originally for DOS. Uh, although there's now a remake actually in the works by THQ Nordic, uh, which looks very fancy indeed. Uh, but of course, let's play the DOS version, <laughs> not least of all because the new version isn't released yet. Um, and why play it? Uh, well, it's arguably the first 3D survival horror game uh, that there is, which helps to really define a genre which has dominated the idea of horror and games altogether. So it's fundamental and formative for what we're talking about. It's one of those games also where there's a single person uh, who kind of had the vision and designed and developed the game, uh, Frédéric Reynal. Uh, so we can think of Frédéric as we go and invoke his name, perhaps, in fear. So at the heart of the game is a haunted house, uh, it's the mansion of a guy called Jeremy Hartwood, and you play either as Edward Carnby, who is a private investigator who shows up to find a piano, <laughs> that's what they do, and Emily Hartwood, who is uh, Jeremy Hartwood's niece. So you can be one of those two people. You go in, and you get trapped inside the mansion, and therefore you have to struggle to get out while being assaulted by various monsters. It's a third-person game, uh, and it's got Survival Horror's kind of signature awkwardly placed camera views, which will almost certainly contribute to the fear factor as we're trying to work out exactly which way we're going to walk next. And I'm really looking forward to, to playing this and to thinking about these particular roots of what it means to be scared uh, playing a game, but also, of course, other ideas uh, that horror can bring up. Uh, such as disgust, or dread, uh, or shock and surprise. Uh, the early questions that I think come to mind I'd like to look at, how much do the graphics matter, right? This is 1992 DOS 3D graphics. Um, will they be scary or not? You know, things have changed since then. Uh, how much of our fear in the game is in some way spatial, given its early place in the history of 3D horror, specifically, and navigating 3D spaces? Um, and, of course, you know, where are the small scares done well that we're always looking for? Looking forward to your reaction to this, and I'm going to dive in and go be alone in the dark by myself. Bye. Monday, the 16th of January at 12.22 a.m. Hey, Pippin, it's David calling you while well, literally alone in the dark here before bed so yeah pretty blindsided uh in a pleasant way by your <laughs> reselection of alone in the dark um 
you know, I'm going to be looking at this with pretty fresh eyes. I checked on Steam, and the last time I played this was May 22nd, 2018, which means the last time I thought about it was May 22nd, 2018, um, which is weird, right? Because you're talking about, like, you know, and it spawned a couple of movies, too. Like, there, I think there was, like, six games in the series. Um, they're doing a revival, a new one, uh, which seems to imply that, I mean, we know it's a classic, but I don't really know what that means in games. Um, but, you know, it, I guess it sort of like got cross-pollinated um, by the sort of setting the, a lot of the conventions for the genre. Uh, and there must be something there, right? Because people keep taking cracks at it. But it's also sort of a weird contradiction because let's say it, right? This is a 30-year-old game and when was the last time you or I thought about it other than knowing we were going to be going out of our way to play horror games. Um, and even just like me re-familiarizing myself with it, getting back into the mode to think about, you know, what were people saying then, what were people saying today about it. I mean, p people called it a masterpiece, but even today, just like skimming through Steam, like a lot of the more recent ones, like there's praise for it, but it's like calling it like outdated or clunky. Like it has to be apologized for it just even in invoking it. And then I went down the rabbit hole and found like there was even one review in 1993 from uh, Computer Gaming World that called it, quote, one of those neat games with some irritating flaws. So I don't know. Then there's this whole other twist. I started thinking about like any revival is going to have to be paying homage to this, which is 30 years old and you know, what do they do with that clunkiness, plus all the other things that this game is uh, paying homage to when it did. Um, I don't know. We should just jump back into it and start talking and see where the conversation goes. Um, I think just off the top of my head, I mean, I don't want to stray too far from talking about the literal game, but I do want to get at things like, what does legacy for a video game mean? Um, especially like when it seems to set the tone or uh, set the pace for a genre. And uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about like this being a Lovecraftian-inspired game. Like, what does it mean for a game to take literary references? Um, but I'll know more once I see those chilling handful of colors and uh, revisit the game. All right, talk to you soon. Have a good night, Pippin. Tuesday, the 17th of January at 4.15 p.m. Hey, David. Guess I missed you. It's Pippin. I am playing a bunch of Alone in the Dark, Alone in the Dark, as mandated. Uh, you know, and I think if we learned anything from Amnesia uh, in the preseason, it's that we're going to have to meet these games part way, and that means trying to do things ourselves that assist them in being scary. So I've started the game now. Uh, one thing we can talk about is the fact that it has a manual, which I didn't realize initially. And then I got, you know, I got into that first room, uh, which is already very threatening, and realized I didn't know how to play, which was horrible uh, because I kind of had the idea that I would need to push this big wardrobe in front of the window. Uh, before a, a gross thing came through. <laughs> I, I ran over to the, the wardrobe and then I just realized I didn't know any of the buttons and had no idea of how anything worked. And so I was bumbling around and then the thing came through the window uh, and started advancing on me with its big weird teeth. 
uh, scary teeth, to be fair. And I realized I didn't know <laughs> how to do anything. I didn't know how to fight it off. Uh, I had a sort of a memory that I could do these very high kicks, but I, I didn't know what the buttons were. And so the thing kept biting me into a corner, and it took a very long time to kill me. I guess it's, it's designed to be a relatively gentle enemy, since it's the first thing that tries to get you. Uh, but because I didn't know how to do anything, it just slowly bit me to death in a corner, which... Uh, which was actually pretty horrible. I think it was really effective. Like, obviously, the whole game can't be that experience because it was about my ineptness, but I felt alarmed by the experience of being thrown into this world and having no idea of what to do. Uh, and, of course, you know, I, I did actually read the manual after that. I found it online. And that takes us into the whole world of the of the interface design of this game, which I think is a big, big thing for us to talk about. And I bet it's what people were probably talking about um, when you were going looking at reviews, you know, saying it's a masterpiece, but it has some kind of awkward uh, flaws in it. The the way that the interface is designed, and particularly the way uh, that you can move around in the world, uh, but to perform actions, you have to go into the separate menu system to choose the kind of thing you want to do, and then back out into the world, and then you apply that action to, to a thing, whether that's searching a, a wardrobe or aiming a gun or, or what have you. And it's really complicated. <laughs> and I think that leads to some interesting horror effects around ineffectiveness. Um, what's been your experience of the, of the interaction so far? Tuesday, the 17th of January, at 10.34 p.m. Wednesday, the 18th of January, at 12.34 a.m. Here's, here's what I remember. This is David. Uh, I remember growing up watching my cousins play this game. And I don't remember anyone ever complaining or even pointing out that the controls were weird. Um, you know, it just worked how it worked. And there were fewer... There was less history of, like, lived history of games played where you thought, this is weird. I mean, you go back and play it now, and there's definitely a learning curve. I mean, I had the same exact experience you had on my first play session of thinking I, I mean, thinking I was just going to know what to do, um, and I didn't, and I died, and I got punished, and then I came back to it the next day, actually 11 a.m. the next day, um, the game scared me. I had, uh, Hairs stand up on the back of my neck um, because that first creature you talked about, I guess there's like a time thing going on where it comes in after however long you spend doing whatever, and it scared me because so there's a lot of interesting things going on here in Alone in the Dark, and one is about a, the controls, but B, like, how it's taking control away from you. And so, like, the big obvious thing here is, like, you can't control the camera, uh, which means the game decides what you see where, and it's also, like, a bit of a governor on conflict and combat, and it's designed to sort of prevent any sort of feeling of safety uh, because you have to go around corners that exist everywhere, even if it's in the same room. And so, uh, 
you know, we should also say that, like, you move incredibly slow in this game. Uh, and I saw, like, the little tentacle of that little dude that comes in. I saw it, like, around the corner of some doorway downstairs. And even though I knew, like, oh, maybe it's coming, maybe it's not, and then I think I thought I saw it, and then I couldn't maneuver to the place to see if I could see it again, to try to keep tabs kind of on where I was. And yeah, man, it scared me. And I, you know, heading into this, I said, oh, well, I don't really get scared by horror games. But, you know, like, I felt like a physical thing in my body um, because of sort of the way things are put together here um, with how you control and can't control what's going on with you. And I've done a little bit of thinking about it. I mean, I think it's like there's nothing victorious or excuse me, there's nothing scary about emerging victorious in battle, which I think is like what we expect to be able to do in video games all the time. And I think indeed, if my memory is correct, like a lot of the enemies you cross paths with, like you can't actually kill. It's more about wiggling away. Um, so it's just interesting in 30 years, like we complain about being forced into that spot. Yeah, that's about it. Wednesday, the 18th of January, at 4.22 p.m. Hey, David, in the dark. It's Pippin in the dark calling uh, to talk more about Alone in the Dark. And as always, you know, a lot of what you said registers with me. So much about this game, and maybe about horror games in general, is about what you see and what you don't see. And that, you know, that, that whole idea of like, what don't I know right now? What can't I see right now? And that tentacle around the door, I think, is extremely evocative of some of the feelings that you get from Alone in the Dark. That sense that there's something bad in the corner of your eye uh, is really stressful. And so much of that, of course, yeah, comes down to the, the fact that this is, this is one of those games with fixed cameras. And it plays with that very effectively and very intentionally. Uh, the the framings are quite awkward. They're often very high, and they often occlude things that you would really like to know about, such as being able to see through a door before you go through it, <laughs> uh, or wishing that you could see the other side of the room because you think you can hear um, a satanic dog coming to get you, etc. And they also even do make cuts in play. Uh, for instance, there's a dog that comes through a window, and just before it comes, you cut to outside the window, looking at yourself through the, through the glass as it jumps through, which, yeah, is pretty freaky and obviously signals that something terrible is about to happen to you as, and, and proceeds to happen to you. And all of this is also in cooperation with sound, which, which we ought to talk about too. But right now, I just wanted to kind of stick with the visuals um, and the other thing that's obviously, I think, very noticeable about the visuals is it's a 3D game, but it's from a long time ago. And so the, the resolution is low and it means that things that are moving, uh, their pixels kind of jiggle around and morph a lot as they move. And it's actually kind of freaky. Even your own face is freaky. If you walk towards the camera, it, uh, it shifts around and is unstable in a way that I think is, is kind of disturbing. Um, and I think, you know, maybe the contemporary horror games are, are giving up a lot by letting the, the player control the camera uh, and by having sharp graphics, right? You're losing a lot of ambiguity. You're losing a lot of chances to make the, the player uncertain 
uh, of what's around them in favor, of course, of more realistic scares, like there's a horrible thing and it's coming to get you uh, and you can look at it. Uh, but how much better is there's a horrible thing coming to get you and you can't, <laughs> you can't quite work out where it is relative to your body and that's not a good thing. Uh, and that leads me on to, to fighting, right? Uh, how are you doing with fighting? Because there's a lot of death struggles in this game. How are your death struggles going, David Walensky? Thursday, the 19th of January at 11.12 a.m. <laughs> I'm... Uh... I'm death struggling. Just fine. Thank you. I've never been asked that before, but um, I hope you and yours are death struggling just fine also. Um, this could be a new holiday card idea. Um, yeah, well, anytime you're going to hear a message from me on Alone in the Dark is um, a bit of a postmortem in my recent <laughs> dying in the game. Um, and this particular death is sort of like one of like not being sure how to progress, but also uh, having no way to defend myself and just doing that thing you do in games of like, I'm going to try experimenting with this. And uh, guess what? It didn't work. But that just means, you know, next time I'll try something else and maybe it'll work out. Uh, then I'll be at peace and then my death struggle will be over or never be over. Um, so... Yeah, I've been thinking about the combat and the 3D-ness of it, and I don't know, it's this thing, I can't help but sort of chuckle playing, um, I guess just like when you've died so many times in the game, it just ceases to have any power over you. Um, but there was like a couple things that happened in my last playthrough of, uh, you know, there are these sort of horror conventions that happen of like, a door closed automatically behind me, um, a monster was patiently waiting. I knew it was out there, but he couldn't open the door. It was patiently waiting for me to open it. And uh, then I bested it. And then it came back later, even though it poofed into a cloud of smoke. And uh, it came and got me in some other bedroom. And there was just all this goofiness of, because it's in 3D and there's the fixed camera and the camera shifts, like, not only could I not line up my shot correctly, it's bizarre to see a digital avatar just sort of swivel, <laughs> just swivel like a game piece, which it is, um, and try to line up a shot, you know, with no reticle, no first-person view. And not only could I not make the shot, but the monster was, like, stuck jumping against the doorway. Um, and there's something that, like, made me laugh about that. There's something that made me, like, appreciate the fairness of it, but I can't help but you know, draw that to a lot of other absurdities. Like, in some ways, this reminds me of uh, this thing I think about in Castlevania a lot. So uh, there's a lot of stuff in Alone in the Dark where you have to just sort of scavenge and you pick up items and, like, there's a, a, a vase in a room and you have to pick it up and smash it and there's a key inside and the key opens something in that room uh, and there's health power-ups and it's just, like, in the drawer that it opens and... Um, you know, uh, it reminds me of Castlevania where, you know, the Dark One lures you to his lair, supposedly to defeat him or for him to defeat you. But he's a sporting chap and he leaves, like, food in the walls for you, save points. Um, he's really there to support you in his own demise. Um, yeah. Thursday, the 19th of January at 2.05 p.m. Hey, David. 
they've been returning your call. Yeah, this clumsification kind of experience of the UI, uh, where everything feels really inept. You talked about that's that weird feeling of rotating in place, trying to aim a gun at something when the camera angle's all wrong and you don't quite know if you're going to get it or not. I I guess I suspect or I, I hope that this is designed into the system, uh, at least partly on purpose, because it's such a huge part of, of what makes the game alarming. Uh, that fact that you can't line up the shot, you can't work out where the monster's coming from, um, all adds up to the sense of panic when you're trying to do anything. Uh, and also, you know, even if you're just trying to run away from something and you have to open a door and the animations take time to execute, all of the stuff, I think, is scary. Um, and it could also be the case that some of this was just necessary because of the state of game programming and game engines at the time. But if so, I think they went with the grain and, and embraced it. I, I don't think there's any way that they didn't think about how freaky it is to not be able to orient yourself well in space in a video game, given that that's like what video games are all about so much of the time, right? And they, they, they create situations that exacerbate this, where you will walk into a room, have a sudden shift of the camera that reverses everything, and then a monster will start coming through the door trying to kill you, and you've got to rotate around, you've got to get your fists up, you've got to try and take a swing before it gets you, uh, and that's very panic-inducing and successfully scary, I think. Um, not, not that I, I think I'm saying that I'm scared when these things happen, but I see how they're scary. And I think that's a really great thing for a, for a horror game to do. I don't think that you have to be scared while you're playing, necessarily, so much as recognize the horror of the situation being represented. Uh, one thing that um, fighting one of the dogs put me in mind of is... With some of the enemies, at least, if you get the first shot in, uh, so I kicked the dog, for example, um, it kind of it kind of means that you can just keep kicking it, and it never quite recovers. So you just kick it and kick it and kick it until it dies, <laughs> which you know puts me in mind of that other kind of horror I was trying to get at when I mentioned manhunt uh, at one point, which is just the horror of doing these disgusting things that suck away your humanity, right? Even if you have to, like repeatedly kicking a dog to death does not, <laughs> does not feel like the thing I want to be doing with my time. Uh, and yet it's necessary and I'm glad it's there. And I'm glad that that's an experience that I can have. And it's comparable, I think, to, to things that happen in horror movies that I find especially disturbing. Um, there's a scene in, uh, the movie Satan Tango, where a kid poisons a cat, for example. There's a scene in a new movie, The Innocents, where there's some cat torture involved as well. And those, I think those moments of a, of a human overpowering and ultimately killing a smaller creature, often, <laughs> I got a notification, often for kind of fun is way more disturbing than, you know, a blood-soaked monster or something. So, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for kicking a dog to death in a video game, and it's evocation of, of kind of a really basic horror. Uh, and the main thing I wanted to ask you is just, you know, what's been scaring you? What do you find scary in the game? Thursday.
the 19th of January at 5.53 p.m. Thursday, the 19th of January at 7.40 p.m. Hey, Pippin, it's David. Quick, quick one before we go. Uh, so I'm not seeing in my play sessions yet a human overpowering any creature. Um, I've made some good progress this evening, and I've made it to the point where there are indestructible rats who can corner you, um, a purple pirate who seems to exist to live in a room, swinging his sword wildly, bouncing off the walls, um, something that looked like a giant olive blocking a door that sucks you into a portal, killing you immediately, and uh, you know I moved some barrels in a basement, and I can only describe what I saw there as what seemed to be a very angry bowel movement, um, as apparently there were just some intestines on the other side of this wall. So, if we didn't say, this is kind of a weird game, and I think once you get over that initial fearful dynamic, I mean, as I mentioned, you know, I had one moment that put me on edge, and it was 11 in the morning, and I think it's less about being scared, and I think, like, what's going on here is, it's like, really, Alone in the Dark is more about undermining your confidence or testing it, I mean... You know, every single angle that changes abruptly whenever you move, every move you make. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's framed in a way where you're expecting something is going to happen and you don't know where and you don't know when. And as you said, like sometimes the game will just do a cut to here's where the bad thing is happening and it leaves it up to you to decide or figure out where you are in relationship to there. But, you know, basically it's just like it uses every, Foley artists trick in the in the book uh, with radio drama levels of sound being thrown at you to just put you on edge uh, and make you wonder like are you sure you know where you're going are you sure you know what you're supposed to be doing are you sure you can fight this thing uh, and most of the time the answer is no to all of those things so uh, you know I'm curious to hear where you are in the game but I think you know maybe we should talk about like the actual plot of the game, like what's going on here. So, uh, for example, what I find myself thinking most about is it's pretty eerie, the way that there are these two characters you can choose from at the beginning, who, as far as I know, are not related whatsoever to each other in any way, but both have like tragic cursed reasons to go to this house, which implies some very sinister things about the house. So what is going on? What sense are you making of what's going on? Where are you? How are you? Okay, bye. Friday, the 20th of January at 4.17 p.m. Hey, David. Pippin calling you back from Montreal, caked in snow. It is still falling from the sky as I speak to you. To carry on that thing of filling in the plot, the, the woman is Emily Hartwood. She is the niece of Jeremy Hartwood, the now dead owner of the spooky house that we're in. And the the dude that you can play is called Edward Carnby. He's a private investigator. And my, my understanding is that his reason for being there is not terribly tragic or cursed, but more unfortunate. Apparently he was 
<laughs> he was just sent there to pick up an antique piano and everything went horribly, horribly wrong for him. Emily's situation I kind of understand more and I'm I'm playing as her in the game. At least uh, at least I'm a relative. So dealing with uh, Uncle Jeremy's haunted house at least feels like it might be my job. And how's that affected you, actually? I, I'm intrigued. Like, do you think about your character at all? I think we're roughly at the same kind of place in the game. The the various spirits you mentioned to me are familiar, especially Purple Pirate. And as you say, it goes to show how varied the, I guess, the monsters are in this game. One that I met that I loved uh, is a ghost sitting on a chair in a room. It's this sort of vague reddish blob. And I'll let you run into it. I thought um, I thought what it did was great. I also walked into a room full of the kind of green zombies in purple smoking jackets, if indeed, <laughs> if indeed that is what they are. And they were all just kind of sitting around in a dining room. And I backed away carefully. And uh, that was a really nice moment, actually, just seeing the danger and not going towards it. And that is a, I think that's a good feeling in a game, you know, self-preservation. I. I did open those front doors and I ran into the weird green thing that just kind of sucks you out and instantly kills you. You describe it as an olive, which I, I find a little deflating. <laughs> I thought of it more as a cosmic horror in the kind of Lovecraftian tradition, and I really liked it. I actually let it kill me a couple of times because I thought it was very fresh feeling uh, in the game to have something so enormous come and get you. So your point about undermining of confidence, like that's the main thing the game is doing, is great, and it's. I think it really ties into the pacing of the game, the the, the temporal understanding, and it makes me think of a quote that I read uh, in this book by Bernard Perron, where he's quoting John Carpenter, master of horror, who says, quote, the people going to see the movie know in advance that something will happen. The question is not to know if something will happen, but when it will happen. And the whole game is to make the viewer believe that it will happen now and not make it happen. Thus, one increases the anxiety, puts the viewer in a standby state, and then surprises him or her when they least expect it. End quote. I really like that. What do you reckon? Friday, the 20th of January, at 6.48 p.m. Hey, Pippin. So, let's go quote for quote. Uh... Off Carpenter was thinking about this quote uh, from Jean-Luc Godard that cinema is, quote, truth 24 times a second and every cut is a lie, end quote. Now, people usually <clears throat> forget that second part or don't know that there's more to that sentiment. And what that means in this context, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, what's unique to games that isn't true in movies is sort of both when and where the cuts will happen as far as our interruption of control but also like our sense maybe illusion of control so there is no if the interruption will come but like what it does to what we're doing rather than sitting there i mean you know you can be an active viewer of things it's not like you're quote just sitting there but you know in the context of alone in the dark like what do these cuts mean you know, we're being reminded of it every few seconds. I think undermining confidence is there, but there's something else going on. Like, what are we being lied to? Uh, and what trust is being broken here? Is it only about control? A uh, bit of a sideline is like, I wonder if all this fixed camera stuff in some way 
set in motion this trope that you see in horror games frequently today of like the the warped VHS effect. Although it seems like it's often coming from uh, developers who are too young to have lived through ever using a VCR, um, which is a whole other thing that's probably not worth getting into here. But all the stuff about the cuts and the camera made me think of it. But I don't know. I mean, I think I think in some ways, I mean, Alone in the Dark is a horror game, but it's also like <laughs> it's gaslighting you and it's confusing. In many ways, it's a bit of like a point and click game, but it's like a press on your keyboard and be confused game. Like there are just so many points where you can be messed up on some interaction and not be blocked from making further progress and not know it because you didn't get the item in the right place and you didn't know what to do with it in the right place. Um, and maybe you missed your chance, you know, like I, I told you earlier, uh, off mic that, uh, there's this puzzle very early on with mirrors and I got hit in combat holding the mirrors and every step of the way, uh, I was reminded they were broken cause I just heard shattering glass every step, um, of the way, or like, you know, just today, it's like I made it to some statue that gave me a ton of arrows and I was like kind of getting anxious like I don't know I don't know what to do with these and then a ton of spiders uh <laughs> queued up and bit me to death <laughs> so um you know this concept of fairness I mean for the purposes of game thing it's fine you know we're kind of experiencing these games in an academic way because we'll you know we're going to be moving on soon um but in a way you know this is a game that's undermining your confidence but it's also trying to teach you about proper file hygiene like uh you know mavis beacons remember to save your game game but i guess you know my big question is like what does it mean for a horror game to hold up you know do some scares go out of style or maybe this gets at another question of like what does it mean to quote, play a video game, or how does horror shift those expectations of what we're looking to get out of the experience? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. Bye, Pippin. Saturday, the 21st of January, at 2.05 p.m. Hey, David, it's Pippin calling. Uh, there was a whole bundle of questions in your last message there, and I don't think I have any answers uh, although um, I think the VHS aesthetic thing that we're seeing in games is pretty straightforwardly tied to to horror films, you know, Ring or Blair Witch Project and then Paranormal Activity. Like, there's a ton of stuff that that uses the idea of recording and screens as part of the horror. Maybe it's even um, related to your Godard quote um, in the sense that I, I assume part of what Godard is saying is that every frame of a film is kind of artificial like it's a setup and maybe if i really stretch things i could say that when you take that artificiality of of a frame of film to its total extreme you you might get something paranormal um, which is why we we might be able to find certain images uh scary uh, but i'm reaching um i'm still i'm still playing the game uh i've run into all kinds of fun stuff uh including an unkillable octopus in a bathtub that i <laughs> i hacked away at with a knife for what felt like forever um and i felt very clever when i later solved a puzzle that involved an axe throwing painting 
it's it's a great game i don't know what to say it's, there's so many odd and pleasing things in here that are trying to kill you admittedly uh but one of the things that stays really front and center um i think is still the ui experience and i was listening to uh dev game club uh which is a podcast about game design and development that you you know of course and they were interviewing Ian Millam who was the art director of Dead Space which is a horror game of course and he made this really wonderfully salient point about UI user interface design for horror games where he got the team together and he showed them Texas Chainsaw Massacre you know one of the various horror scenes in that horror movie and then he showed it to them again but he overlaid a classic um, heads-up display with, you know, an ammo count and a health counter and so forth. And everyone was like, oh, you know, that's not scary. It's not scary to have it jammed in your face that you're playing a game. And so it strikes me as likely that it's really important not to have a UI in a horror game. And maybe we'll play something that, that pushes back on that. But it's notable that there's no UI uh, visibly when you're playing most of the time in Alone in the Dark. There was no UI in Amnesia and Bad Mojo, which we played in preseason, uh, because we don't want to be reminded of the artificiality of a game. And I've even started feeling like the way you bring up the UI menu isn't even a way to kind of escape from the horror briefly, because you're not even safe in that menu, are you? Eventually you have to come out and face the musical zombies. A. A. Sunday, the 22nd of January, at 1.36pm. Right. Right. Yeah. We've talked around the whole interface. I don't think we've ever actually said, but like, the way it works at the game open is, you know, you move around and... Press escape to access the menu where you can, you know, you can save, you can load, you can turn the sound effects on or off. Um, but then you press enter and you can see everything in your inventory. Uh, and then you have to select actions if you want to do something. And then you can switch fight, open search, close, I guess close the menu, or push. Actually, I've not seen some of these before, so I'm learning something in real time here. Uh, and then you just you select it and your character does very. Uh, kind of staggering movement. I mean, people call it clunky. I don't think that's quite right. It's sort of my go-to word because I've seen it so much. It's more like you're sort of a... I never thought of it. You're sort of a monster yourself. You know, the way you move is very shambling. You're not really in control of everything you're doing. Um, and it deserves recognition because I think it's an extension of what you're talking about. And it's uh, something that I think people wouldn't really cotton to anymore. I mean, heck, I've been playing this for a while, and I'm not even sure I can reliably run when I mean to, um, and I don't mind it. Uh, I don't know. I, I like this sort of just being thrown in and feeling lost, not being sure, but I totally get why it's gone out of style. Um, I don't have a question here, but I'm sure you do. All right, bye. Sunday, the 22nd of January, at... 4.45 p.m. Hey, David, sneaking in a quick call. Uh, I'm actually glad it went to the machine because uh, I don't have time for a full-on conversation anyway. Uh, but what you said, you know, not even being able to reliably run in this game is, is emblematic of this feeling that nothing really works quite right. <laughs> 
And that's perfect for horror. I think that it really manages to evoke the sense of being in a horror movie in these really successful ways that would probably be designed out these days, I'm thinking. Although, you know, we should play something contemporary and see. But I think a lot of the usability uh, problems in this game are part of its charm and part of how it evokes horror. You know, like the the shot framing is an obvious one. It's ob- very clearly intentional, right? The, the ways that the shots hide information from you, for example. My favorite is um, opening the pantry door in the kitchen. And as the door opens, the, the inside of the pantry is like half blocked by a shelving unit that's in the foreground. So you can't tell if something's about to lurch out at you. Uh, and clearly the back and forth between the action movie and back out again, which you would think would diffuse the horror. But as I said, I think it, it creates this situation where you know that you have to come back out of the menu to face the monster that you're that you're trying to deal with. And that that is kind of gross and scary in its own way. Uh, and of course, yeah, like you were saying, the slowness and the awkwardness of the movement, that feeling that if you had to be agile and move fast, you probably can't. Which, again, I think really evokes the the clumsiness and stupidity of people in horror movies who are always dying because they, you know, they didn't close the door or they went too slow or they tripped over or whatever. Um, you're that person <laughs> in Alone in the Dark. And, you know, credit to the design here. I think it's probably a conversation between the design and some of the technical limitations Uh at the time, you know, the fixed shots are also because it's very expensive to render the world in 3D in real time so that you could move the camera. Uh, but it's yielded something special, right? And so it's bittersweet uh, for, for me that our time's almost up on this one and that the, the tape's just about done here. Uh, yeah. What a game. Any final thoughts from you? Sunday, the 22nd of January at 11.44 p.m. Monday, the 23rd of January, at 12.42 a.m. Hey, Pippin. So, we will end as... Well, I will end as I begun here, responding to you alone in the dark, um, colon, before bedtime. So, I... Yeah, it's, um... Hard to sort of sum it up neatly I got pretty far into the game. I think I'm halfway through. I think this is the furthest I've ever gotten on this game, which is a big difference between 30 years ago and today. <laughs> um, the first time I ever played it and this most recent time. Um, you know, one thought I have is like wondering about the quote usability issues or the quote clunkiness. I mean, it's just hard to know. Like, are these issues that were around 30 years ago, or they're just complications inevitably, because, you know, we're playing on machines that came out about 30 years later, um, in, in, invariably, you know, things will be today not quite as they were intended to be experienced, but, I mean, it's been crystallized in a really, uh, I want to come up with a better word to say than cool way, it's just really just, it's, you know, it's, this is a blast to experience, and yeah, it's scary, um, but it's just, it's so fascinating, you know, um, 
so I guess like if I have any final thoughts, it's like one thing I'm really thinking about here is just again that that choice of those two characters up top. Um, and I was thinking about it today, just how like in many video games, you know, you play some role in defining the world or your character, you're the hero, and in horror so far, that doesn't really seem to be part of it. You know, you're sort of you're stuck in a role, you're cast in it, or you're trapped in it, and I wonder what significance that has, and we don't have to answer that now, but I'll be thinking about it. And I guess the other thing, too, is like, you know, if we're stating that this is a season about small scares done well, then I think Alone in the Dark is a game about small things left undone. Um, I guess you could say that means it's about puzzles, but it's like, you know, I've, today I saw a room choking with smoke from a cigar that was left out in an ashtray that you had to douse with a jug of water. Uh, there was a dresser that needed to be placed in front of a window to block a monster from entering. And there's also just literal books in the house that you're expected to stand and read right there while you're in great danger. Um, and, you know, most of these creatures are also alone in the dark before you come and bother them or their house and they come after you. I mean, you know, that room filled of zombies that you thought they were coming to attack you, they were just hungry. Uh, not for you. You placate them by placing a pot of soup on the table. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure what Godard would say about that, but that sure feels damn truthful to me. They were only hungry, Pippin. It's not all about you. Okay, bye. Monday, the 23rd of January, at 10.01 a.m. Hey, Cheeky, I know it's not all about me. It's all about us. And good to know about those zombies in the dining room. I, I mean, I will say that I, I didn't think they were coming for me. I just felt like I didn't want to bother them, which is polite. You know, maybe, uh, maybe that's not so unreasonable. And people who looked exactly like them had tried to kill me in the past. So, you know, once bitten, twice shy. So wrapping this up, tying a, an evil Lovecraftian bow on it in... That's handy. Another notification. I love how that keeps happening. Um, thinking about what we said in the beginning, I, I wondered if the graphics were going to matter uh, because they are, of course, by you know today's standards, outdated. I think the answer to that is no. I think the ambiguity of the graphics uh, and the kind of creativeness uh, that that allowed, if you think about you know the cosmic olive outside the door and the weird uh, shape made of circles uh, that can uh, sometimes kill you, and, and on and on. I think it worked really well uh, for horror. And I also wondered about the kind of idea of spatial horror. I'm sure that that's something we're going to end up exploring further in all of these games. You know, games are about space, uh, so inevitably they're going to use space as a way to scare us. Uh, and you talked about the question of this game's legacy, right? Like, this is one of the most influential horror games there is. Yes, we're going to have to we're going to have to follow its legacy as we go through, and I think we've, you know, it's opened our eyes to so many different aspects of of how a game like this might work. So I'm really really excited about how it sets us up. And you also mentioned Lovecraft and literature and this whole this whole question of, I guess, how the plot and the kind of narrative aspect of these games play into what's scary. I don't think that 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 came about so much, right? Like, uh, I don't think either of us cared too much about 
what was going on in the plot or who we were or why we were there. I know that there was a sense in the game that you're trying to escape the house. Um, but I kind of like being there and I sense that you do too, right? I lost track of trying to leave and I was, I was happy to stay, um, <laughs> uh, you know, but we got to go. So bye-bye, uh, Giuseppe and, and bye-bye, David. End of messages. Thank you for calling Game Thing. For more information, please hang up and dial Game Thing dot life. Goodbye.